It's the confluence where the news comes together on 90.5 WESA. I'm Kevin Gavin. Over the weekend, 59-year-old Douglas Bonomo of McKeesport died in the Allegheny County Jail's mental health unit. He was facing charges of indecent assault and was awaiting court-ordered transfer to Torrance State Hospital for treatment. Torrance State Hospital is a public psychiatric facility about 50 miles east of Pittsburgh. Vic Volchek is the legal director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Pennsylvania. Vic, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Vic, we are still awaiting word on the cause of death of this man. But what's your reaction to the death of someone while they're in a mental health unit? Yeah, unfortunately, the prisons and jails in this country have become the country's de facto mental health safety net. I mean, we simply do not put enough resources into helping people with severe mental illness. And many of these people do not need to be in prison where, in fact, they're getting worse and, um, you know, potentially forever. Now, if you would, how does an inmate get authorized for a transfer to Torrance or another facility? Uh, Is it the judge who makes that decision? What? Yeah, so there is a a process for people who are incarcerated and charged with crimes who are severely mentally ill to go and get treatment to see if they can be made competent to stand trial. And if you're incompetent, you're talking about really the sickest of the sick. These are people who often are are quite psychotic. They're the people you may see talking to themselves on the street. They do not understand the nature of the charges against them, and they cannot assist their defense counsel with the uh their their charges and in that situation there is a hearing and a judge can commit that person for mental health treatment and if they're seriously ill or if they're potentially dangerous they go to um, one of two state hospitals one's at torrance which serves western pa and norristown serves eastern pa are two state hospitals enough Yeah, so um, the ACLU filed suit against the Pennsylvania Department of Human Services in in 2015. At that time, waits were often in excess of a year. So people are just sitting there for no reason, sometimes with low charges where they wouldn't even get a sentence of a year. They're sitting in jail for over a year waiting to get transferred to to health care. Since then, um, we've reached a couple of settlements. We were working with the state to reduce the times. Um, And at the uh, in March of 2020, right before COVID hit, we were prepared to resolve this case because they had gotten wait times down to to under 15 days, which is what we say is the constitutional requirement. COVID completely exploded that. And at this point, the the state has made some progress, but they're still at about three months, which is where Mr. Bonomo comes into the picture. He'd been there. Uh, committed since the end of April. So he was coming upon three months. Ideally, he would have been in Torrance a couple of months ago. So prior to the pandemic, it seems like you're saying that the state was adhering to the deal? 
the state um, had gotten waitlist down to to 15 days. Um, but I think people should understand that this isn't just a problem of the state, right? This is a problem of the criminal legal system, which includes 67 county criminal legal agencies in Pennsylvania. Um, uh, and one of the things we're seeing is that they are sending uh, mentally ill people who do not belong in state hospitals there. And there's two categories. One is people who are um, have some kind of organic mental illness. And so no amount of treatment is going to make them better. The other thing is they're sending people who have low level charges, who do not need that forensic level of care and should be taken care of at the local level. And for whatever reason, there is not enough capacity in uh, in local communities, including in Allegheny County. So are judges making the wrong decision or what as far as ordering transfers to these uh, two facilities? Yeah, I, I think some judges are not understanding the process. They are not understanding that if there's no way a person is going to be made competent with some treatment because they've got, for instance, uh, traumatic brain injury, they should not be put on that list. Um, and again, if you've got somebody who's picked up like our lead plaintiff in this case was was in jail for several years because he literally stole peppermint patty candies from a from a convenience store. I mean, that person does not need to be in a forensic state hospital. And when you send those people there, uh, the state has to take them. And that takes up bed capacity from people who really, really do need that level of care. So it's, it, you know, it's not just the state that's the problem. It's really the entire criminal legal system, which includes the counties. Mm -hmm. So uh, you mentioned, of course, Torrance and Norristown, and those uh, were and are the two state facilities. Uh, take us back farther, Vic. Uh, were there more state facilities, pro you know, in years past? Yeah. So, I mean, there there was a um, uh, a move to deinstitutionalize. Right. This took place in the in the earlier in the 2000s, and it was a good thing. And there were not more forensic state hospitals in uh, in the state, but there were more state mental hospitals, right? Places like Mayview, which have been closed. Um, and one of the things that we found is that they were over um, detaining people. So you had people who did not need to be there, did not need that level of care, were, were just sort of marinating there, there and forgotten for years. And what you saw is that many of these folks were put into the community to be um, treated um, more humanely. They didn't you know, need to be in a prison. Um, and part of that has led to this crisis where you've got mentally ill people who don't need forensic care, but there's no place to put them in the in a, uh, you know, to provide them the necessary mental health help in the community. In a statement, County Jail Warden Orlando Harper indicated 31 people in the jail are awaiting transfer transfer to Torrance. Uh, do you have any idea how many inmates overall in Pennsylvania are waiting for treatment in one of these two state facilities? Yeah, so I don't know where he gets that number 31 because I have access to the list and I see only about 10 people um, on that list waiting to go to the state. You know, overall, there's over 100 people waiting. At the height of the problem, when we first filed suit, there was often over 200. Mm -hmm. uh, did the settlement with the state include other provisions beyond reducing wait time, such as providing more beds or more facilities? 
It, it really dealt with wait times. And the two ways to do that was one, to add some capacity to the state hospitals, but second, to put money into counties where they could develop local treatment options, which which to some extent has happened, just not enough. Mm-hmm. So wait times uh, have increased beyond the two-week limit after decreasing, but then they bumped up after COVID. Uh, so is the state in violation of the settlement? And if so, do you have legal recourse? Yeah, I mean, yes, technically they're in violation, but to the extent they can point to other factors, you know, that's a that's that's something that mitigates their liability. We continue to work with the state and have a good relationship with them and are pressing them to get these wait times down even further. Hopefully we won't need to go back and ask a judge to to order them to do better. And very briefly, Vic, finally, so it sounds like, okay, this is a partnership with the state, but you also alluded to earlier, there are other parties involved, including the legal system, including uh, counties with, uh, you know, providing services. What are your hopes there? Well, the hope is that the judges understand that not every person who's mentally ill needs a forensic level of care at a state hospital, and they'll recognize that many of these people can and should be served at the local level, whether it's in some kind of facility or in supported housing where they have some kind of wraparound services. I mean, that's where all of this should be going. Vic Volchek is the legal director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Pennsylvania. Vic, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Kevin. Always a pleasure. It's the Confluence on 90.5 WESA. I'm Kevin Gavin. Members of the Lenape Nation of Pennsylvania, an indigenous tribe in the region, are urging state lawmakers to formally recognize their existence. Chief Adam Waterbear DePaul is the tribal storykeeper and director of education for the Lenape Nation of Pennsylvania. Chief, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Chief, where have the Lenape people lived and currently live today? When we're talking about Pennsylvania and even Western Pennsylvania. Our people live all throughout our homeland area. Um, It's also important to know that many of our people were forced out of our homeland, and we have nations in Oklahoma, Wisconsin, and Canada today. Uh, But what many people don't know is that many of our people never left and and, uh, kept Lenape culture alive here all these years. We live in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, all throughout our homelands. Mm -hmm. I I understand that maybe more than a couple hundred years ago that uh, your people were actually sort of pushed away from New Jersey and New York into what is now Pennsylvania, and yet you still don't have state recognition from Pennsylvania. Um, well, that's, I wouldn't say that's entirely accurate. Our people have always lived in Pennsylvania. Okay. <clears throat> our, our indigenous homelands are Eastern Pennsylvania, also Southern New York, New Jersey, and, uh, and Northern Delaware. So there's, uh, absolutely no excuse for Pennsylvania going this long on recognizing us. We have always been in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So what does official recognition mean to the Lenape? Well, what state recognition ends up meaning is entirely up to the agreement the state makes. Uh, So we don't know what it will mean. Uh, But the very least, it will mean Pennsylvania has finally said, we recognize that the Lenape are the indigenous people of this area of Pennsylvania. 
um, and that you are still here. And if that is all that happens and nothing more, that is hugely important uh, for the public view, for our ability to protect our lands, for our identity here. So uh, I understand New Jersey and Delaware have recognized the nation. So uh, what does it mean for them? What does it mean, more importantly, for the Lenape in those states? Yeah, that's right. Uh, New Jersey has two recognized Lenape nations. Delaware has one. And, uh, you know, some of the things we're concerned with uh, recognition, we're really after those things that will help us with identity, with educational programs, and with protecting uh, the environment here, stewarding our homelands. So, for instance, um, in New Jersey, there is a committee of state-recognized Lenape that are in the network uh, whenever any projects would come up that would threaten the Delaware River or the watershed. Uh, and they are consulted on those matters right now because Pennsylvania has no such uh, system, no recognized Native Americans. None of us have to be brought to the table in matters regarding um, the destruction of, of our homelands. You are the tribal story keeper. What's the most important thing you would like Pennsylvanians to know about the Lenape Nation, their work, their contributions? What? We have been working, well, since time immemorial, um, but specifically for decades, we have been working for state recognition. We have been uh, giving educational programs to let people know that we are still here. And that is probably the most important thing for people to know, because uh, as director of education, I work with curriculum development, and I still go into schools and find history books that are teaching that all the Lenape people were driven out or killed in their homelands, which is uh, just ridiculous. And our, our nations in New Jersey and Delaware speak against that fact as, long, as well as, of course, our presence here. So people need to know that while, yes, many of our people were forced out, we do have uh, diaspora nations in other states. Um, many Lenape never left Pennsylvania, are still here, and are keeping their culture alive and are struggling for the Pennsylvania lawmakers to recognize us and admit that we are still here. Uh, will you give us an idea about how many people we're talking about in the Lenape Nation, whether it's in Pennsylvania or across the country. In our nation, we have over 500 members on our rolls, every one of them. Uh, you must verify that you are Lenape to be a member of the nation. Again, we are just one of nine official nations and many other Lenape communities throughout the country. Mm -hmm. Now, do you think indigenous people have been forgotten uh, even as the U.S. undergoes a so-called racial reckoning? I absolutely think Native Americans have been forgotten um, more, but more importantly, I think forgotten is the kindest term you can apply. Uh, our, our, our erasure here has been largely orchestrated. It's the colonial history um, that we have been uh, forced uh, in, into assimilation or into hiding or into leaving our homelands. So, the fact that we have been forgotten by so many people is not just, oops, we forgot. Um, it's been a method by the colonial government to try to make sure we are forgotten. Mm -hmm. Does the nation 
have a platform today? Does it have a, a megaphone that it hasn't had? Are you hopeful that these current efforts to gain recognition? We are appreciated and acknowledged and recognized by the public, by the people, uh, by the colleges, by the historical societies. And that has been the case for decades. Um, there are documentaries on us. Right now, there's a wonderful documentary called Keepers of the Way that's winning awards across the world um, on the Independent Film Festival. We've been, our language classes have been published in books by National Geographic. Our clan mother has spoken on documentaries for the History Channel. We have over 130 partner organizations uh, throughout our homelands that work with us on correcting this narrative, on, on education and protecting the environment. So we have the support of the people. Um, the, the megaphone that we don't have is, for some reason, uh, the official government recognition. And, and I really like that word because that is one thing that recognition would mean to us. It is a type of megaphone. And all this incredibly important and hard work we've been doing for decades to correct the wrongful narratives, to protect our homelands, to celebrate our culture, um, we are stifled. Our voices is stifled by the government's refusal to recognize us. And if they did recognize us, that would amplify us uh, to the public that is not aware of us. Uh, very briefly, you, you've mentioned being stifled, but you also pointed out some of the positives, the documentary that uh, you mentioned, and some other educational efforts as well. So overall, do you have some optimism about your efforts in this vein? Because we've been trying for this for decades, and uh, so far we've been disappointed every step of the way, I'm not comfortable. I'm saying op I'm not comfortable in saying that I'm optimistic. Um, I am hoping it will go differently this time with the government, um, and that's that's as much as I can say uh, without sounding naive, based on the precedent the lawmakers have set thus far. Chief Adam Waterbear DePaul is the tribal storykeeper and director of education for the Lenape Nation of Pennsylvania. Chief, thanks so much for joining us and good luck to you. Thank you. The Confluence on 90.5 WESA, I'm Kevin Gavin. Bedford Dwellings, a housing complex in the Hill District, has received a $50 million neighborhood revitalization grant. The funds will go toward rebuilding the city's oldest housing development and adding new housing on the site. 90.5 WESA's Kate Giamarisi covered the announcement of the funding, and she joins us now. Welcome back, Kate. Hi. Hi, Kevin. This money comes from the federal government. Specifically, what program? So this is what's called a Choice Neighborhoods Grant. It's from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. And this money aims to revitalize older, distressed public housing. But there is also an emphasis on making improvements in the surrounding neighborhood and also things like social services and other supports for the residents. Um, and unlike some other uh, federal housing programs, this this grant requires one-to-one -one replacement of all the public housing units on the site. 
So there won't be any reduction in the number of units. There won't be any increase in the number of public housing units. Yes. Uh, Kate, how many units are we talking about in Bedford Dwellings? So there's 411 units. And as you mentioned, this is the city's um, oldest public housing uh, complex. It, it's it's so old that its development was approved by uh, Franklin Roosevelt. Um, it opened in, in 1940. And, you know, much of the other public housing um, that was in Pittsburgh from this era has, you know, mostly been torn down or redeveloped. So what does this funding mean, Kate? Uh, what sort of timeline are we talking about? What? So the the site's 411 public housing units will be replaced, and there are also going to be hundreds of other homes added uh, in, in the surrounding area. There's going to be both market rate and affordable housing, some for sale. And there's a, a, about an eight-year timeline for this project in, in kind of multiple phases. Now, what happens to the current residents if the current units are being replaced? So the plan, as I understand it, is that they're, the new uh, housing for them will be built first so that residents can then move into it. Uh, so people only have to move one time rather than relocating people, building new housing, and then moving people back, is my understanding. Have you talked to any uh, current residents? I, I reached out to um, the tenant council president. I was not able to reach her this week. When I last spoke with some residents about this, though, I, I must say there was a lot of optimism around this um, potential grant. Right, we talked about the grant from the federal government, uh, Choice Neighborhoods. Is this difficult to get? Yeah, this is a highly competitive grant and years of work and planning um, went into this. The housing authority had previously applied for this award several years ago and didn't didn't get it. All right. So you mentioned about an eight-year timeline. What what are some of the next steps in this overall development? Well, the planning commission made some approvals um, that were needed on Tuesday, and construction is expected to start in October. In October, WESA's Kate Marisi, thanks so much for joining us, and thanks for your reporting, Kate. Always great to be here, Kevin. Thank you. And for today, that is the Confluence, where the news comes together on 90.5 WESA. Next time, Senate Republican leaders have decided not to appeal to the state Supreme Court, a ruling that Pennsylvania's education funding system violates the state constitution. Thanks to our team, Addison Deal, Laura Satsui, and Mary Lee Williams. I'm Kevin Gavin. Until next time, hope you have a good day of good news.